Yeah. I don't know that. See, I don't even know that Queen of the Stone Age song. Yeah. Uh, we were going to play that at uh, the wedding between Ernt and Ernt, <laughs> but uh, it was not wedding appropriate. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we got license number 18. Hey, it's Infinity License episode at 18. You fast. Hot, fast. We're here. It's October. It's actually gotten a little bit cooler today. It's 75 degrees in the end of October. Uh, the U.S. soccer team sucks. Trump's policy is already kicking into gear at very <laughs> high speed. Not make America first. No immigrants. Yeah. Make America first in temperature and uh, first place in being terrible at soccer. <laughs> yeah. Kick out the immigrants and kick up the temp. I was reading it. There actually, there was an article in The Guardian today we didn't, about um, how now that the World Series is starting tomorrow. Uh, which I guess puts a timestamp on this this recording, <laughs> so sorry about that. But as the World Series begins, Babe uh, Ruth's gonna be sick in the yeah, upcoming World I Series. I mean, Mickey Mantle is like he's off the sauce now, so he's gonna be really good. <laughs> um, but they're talking about how baseball is having a bit of a resurgence, even though po- football still remains in popularity, and the NBA is certainly surging in popularity among youth demographics. Um, baseball just kind of has this eternal, like slow burn appeal in American society, and the, the fact that. Um, then it spawned a conversation in the comments section on the Reddit thread that I was in, which is just the nerdiest thing. Uh, they're just talking about how that the issue is a lot with like youth leagues and like youth youth soccer is just like basically there's a, there's an access problem in American youth soccer because basically even though soccer can be played by everyone to be played at the highest level, you just need to be a really rich person that's willing to shell out like thousands of dollars a year to even have your kid be a potential like prospect in, in uh, I think, soccer. I mean, in what, in the American system? In the American system. That, I mean, yeah. that if that is true, that would be a reason why the American system is broken because in Brazil yeah. you can play with socks. Yeah. You know, socks are ball and uh, still make it, you know, be seen by someone. But I think that that comes with um, when people say, I've heard it said about American soccer before that, uh, you know, we don't need better athletes. It's not the case... Like when uh, Kobe Bryant said that if me, Tracy McGrady, and LeBron James grew up playing soccer, we would win the World Cup every time. That's not true. It's not right. that we that our soccer players are not good athletes. It's that our athletes aren't good soccer players. And like the um, the for some reason there is a cultural osmosis that comes down, and maybe it has to do with like talent scouts. You know, uh, if soccer was really important in this country, they would see some kid who had never played soccer before, but they could tell that he would be he had the, uh, he talented had the at it. Yeah, potential recruit him. Well, is that like? I mean, I guess, but we just in, we also have a culture. I guess basketball certainly has a culture in most American major cities, and that's why we crank out. I mean, yes, certainly teams are catching up. Like Spain and Germany and Australia have more competitive basketball players and players that are playing in the NBA more and more often. But uh, I think basketball too is is a much more naturally an international sport. It's a lot more like soccer. Yeah. Uh, you know, most countries I think don't really see the appeal of American football if they're not raised with the kind of sense of machismo that we are. Uh, is that why it's really so popular need... in England now? Is that because the English people have, or it's become yeah, more popular? Popular but... in England. That's why whenever you, uh, one of the teams plays there. Every American person with a, it's just a smattering of different team jerseys. They're all just like, yeah. oh, I guess I'll go watch a football game. They just they just pick they, whatever color they like and they just sit down at Wembley and it's just this cornucopia of different jerseys. It's like I like the Jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which I guess uh, is the team that I'm pre- just could potentially be a London team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shahid Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that they try to exp- they're trying to export this sport. And uh, one of my favorite uh, memories of the 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 year that the Giants won the Super Bowl was that they played the Dolphins in uh, London that year. It was one of the first London experiments. It was rainy, soggy. The field of Wembley was getting torn up. Cleo Lemon was starting for the Dolphins, and the whole game was horrendous. Yeah. And when the Englanders. What are they called? Britons? Britons? Britons. Uh, found out that one of those teams actually won the championship. They were like, oh, the shot. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, that is atrocious. And I feel like a lot of those people, if they were watching yesterday's Jets Dolphins game, it was similar conditions. Uh, really, it was soggy, damp field where the Jets were up and then blew a 14 point lead saw, in the fourth quarter. Saw my boy Jay go down. Smoke and Jay got smoked, got cracked ribs. Oh, yeah. You know, and then I, Matt Moore comes in, of all people. Matt Moore comes in to, to annihilate the Jets. Yeah, uh, I actually think he's better than Jay Cutler. But um, I, have a, I was thinking of this. I have a theory about where I think football is going. Um, and the premise, the, the baseline of this theory is that the NFL cannot continue at, in its current right. form for much longer. I mean, I, I don't know. We've talked about this previously. Injuries seem to be way bigger of a problem this year than they ever have been before. I don't know if that's statistically true, but it certainly feels that way. We're going to have no stars left pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so given the, the premise that, um, that football can't continue like that, I think that what might happen, I, I had a vision of this, that this is in an ayahuasca ceremony, <laughs> yeah, of sorts. Yeah. Um, I think that they're going to, or well, they could do this, uh, address both the professionalization of college football and you know NCAA like top tier sports, and the um, the, the fact that the NFL cannot continue with guys running into each other at that size at that speed for much longer. I think that what we could lead towards is basically a, a league in which you start playing football at age eighteen. So the top college recruits are just thrown into the league. Maybe there's some sort of developmental league or like AAA equivalent right. that NFL teams pull from. But basically, um, every player and every you know is guaranteed they're not going to have to play into their 30s. Right. Um, so it's sort of this time limit. So what if football became like a 10-year league? You, your eligibility starts at the end of high school to go pro. And you just play for ten years, and then you're you kind of uh, redshirt out. Like it's eligibility, like the NCAA at, has. Okay, so like at twenty eight years old, everybody is just a retired. Yeah, and the idea being that um, if you withstand all of this, if you've put a, a an enforced limit on the amount of abuse that your body can take, and if that abuse ends before age thirty you're going to drastically minimize the long-term damages of football. So the is idea that is that... Do the CTE studies say that, like, most... most Because Aaron Hernandez was, <laughs> like, I mean, he had, the like, CTE to the max. And he was only, what, 26 years old? Well, he was just... He was a real gritty player. Yeah, that's true. He was a real... He had a lot of heart. So he, he was, was real going headfirst into a lot of plays that yeah. he didn't need to. Yeah. I, you know what? That would be a really... That's a really good follow-up to my stupid uh, theory, my, my fugue that I had. <laughs> Uh, my desert mirage about the future of the NFL. Yeah, no, there, I'm sure there is. Maybe it should be seven years for all I know. Like, give no, it, I, you know. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that ten, a 10 year limit, I'm sure it would do a lot, even just for the sake of, I mean, for every time you go on the field, you are just putting yourself at risk for another in- injury. So that doesn't matter. It, so it, it just minimizes it from that perspective because there's got to be a good portion of the league has to be between 29 and 34, 35 years old. Jake, Josh McCown. 38 years old. <laughs> well, he's going to go the way of the uh, Dodo. And, you know, 
Yeah, and I mean, I think that this is something that uh, you know the NFL could could be the ones to institute to try to say, hey, play football, you know, sixteen year olds, because worst case scenario or bet, you know, at the longest, you're going to be playing this for the next you know twelve years, and that's not that long. Uh, and then you know we'll look at these guys who are playing you know well into their late thirties. Uh, like the equivalent of the way that we look at old time hockey goalies that didn't wear helmets, you know, right. just insanely reckless and dangerous and uh, and toothless and toothless <laughs> and and brainless, yeah, and uh, cortexless. Um, that's an interesting proposal. I think it could work. Uh, I think it's a good idea. I mean, something's going to happen. Like it's the, got a, well, the sport I think cannot just continuing evolving the way it is. That also people. solves the problem which a lot of people are highlighting and are highlighting in the arguments that for. Uh, basketball certainly, and the arguments for baseball and soccer kind of taking over lacrosse. Lacro- uh, lacrosse. I don't see major league lacro- lacrosse going anywhere. That's still know. major league lacrosse l- still has a lot of context, and there's still a lot of. It's not certainly not NFL level, but there's still a lot of potential for injury. And also, have you ever watched a lacrosse game on TV? Uh, I've it's, seen it in person. It's awesome. I never played lacrosse, but it, I mean, lacrosse is a cool sport to watch. I don't They're know. Kinda, whacking each other with uh, sticks like a Irish bar fight. That's cool. I don't like it. Uh, I'm not crazy about it. And watching it on TV is is particularly not interesting. It's not compelling. But my point is about how the 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 fear or the theory now that everyone is having in professional sports is that, look, parents in any right mind would not send their kid to go play this sport. Uh, for So so that your, your proposed solution solves that, where it's like, hey, we're not going to make these kids play in high school anymore. They're not putting that ri- their bodies at risk until they're a volunteering like adult to do it. They, the same way that they can yeah. sign up for the military or they can sign up for the NFL development league or whatever it is, which is pretty yeah. much kind of the, yeah, the yeah. already kind of the it's, it, the unstated you know system. Like the, it, the NFL is sort of seen as culturally legitimate as uh, going into the military. Yeah, um, yeah, no, totally. If you limit, if you just enforce that there's a limit, uh, you know, legislate that, then you increase the amount of people who are willing to take the risk. Um, let's get into highlight. Highlight, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, fuck all these other sports. That's a, that see that is the it, fastest ball in sports. That's the coolest one too. They have the, they have cooler equipment than lacrosse. The that, yeah, or it's just that thing that they whip whip around. And I feel like especially I feel as though in the modern era you could see the same way there's that it wasn't AJ Green, but that guy in the Bengals, you remember when he flipped over he he just like clear oh, uh, straight uh, up j- yeah, uh uh the hell is his name? Um Jerome Simpson. Yeah, I think it was Trump. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Where he just straight up did a, a flip into the yeah, end zone. So cool. Highlight has that potential for athleticism <laughs> too. I think. I think we concentrated the same amount of effort into that. We could see some insane stuff. Actually, instead of getting into Highlight, why don't we get into recruiting for Highlight so that the next Jerome Simpson, like Adrian Peterson, is growing up with a seseta uh, in his hand, yeah. flinging a pelota at a pared. I don't know what the word for pared the wall. I know, but I don't know <laughs> what this Highlight term. I'm not up yeah. at my Highlight. All right, step one. Wikipedia highlight starting tomorrow, <laughs> uh, and then a week from today, we're definitely going to get into the highlight recruitment. This game. is the, what if this turns into just a highlight focused podcast where we just lose complete interest in infinity news high license, infinity high license. Uh, all right, well now now that we've talked about sports enough, we're moving on to let's move into the topic that I'm most excited about, and when I think the moment this is the most presidential moment of Donald Trump's presidency on Saturday morning when he tweeted out that he is going to release the um, the redacted and sealed um, JFK files that Congress extended for 25 years. uh, So the report is that Roger Stone actually advised... Roger Stone is the one who was advising essentially Trump, not Trump directly, but I think via Alex Jones, and was saying, hey, Trump should put 
that's going to expire. He should not absolutely should not extend any kind of uh, any any laws that prevent them the documents from being. Roger released. Stone wanted them released. Wanted them released because he's and a circus. So, so most most JFK students or most academics or the surrounding JFK don't think that the the files will have anything particularly that we don't know or anything that is particularly revealing. Some people believe that the biggest reveal could be that there is an unaccounted for so. There was a lot of CIA contact and following uh, Lee Harvey Oswald when he was in uh, Mexico City. He took this random trip to Mexico City in, I think, the summer of 1963. And the CIA was very aware of him, and he was very publicly walking around town talking about how he was a communist, potentially met with Soviet and Cuban uh, spies in Mexico City. Uh, And they think that that could could lead to some interesting, the most interesting thing um, uh, about, about... what they've left out of the history of Lee Harvey Oswald. Nobody thinks that most people don't think it's going to reveal anything around like the CIA actively. Well, what is the operating theory that he was, a he was instructed by like Soviet spies Uh, or he was working with them, which there was already evidence or there was some kind of weird evidence that he had some some potential for being a double agent in any way, because he looked, he lived in Russia for seven, he renounced his American citizenship and then lived in Russia for a couple of years, had a Russian wife, then moved back to the United States with his Russian wife and was completely... Uh, and then, he, what did he do? Oh, yeah, and then he shot the president. Uh, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. What well, was that thing that made him famous? Of the United States. Of the United States clear, of America. Not the, not the president of Russia. There was no president of Russia yeah. back then. No, it was a premier. Um, That's, uh, why is the, the dominant theory so centered around the mafia and Sam Giancana and Havana? Well, for a lot of reasons. Um, Oswald, Oswald was seen in not only... Uh, t- Dallas, Texas, but new- he spent a lot of time in New Orleans and in uh, and in Miami. Uh, and I mean, it's it's a really long history with why the ma- how the mafia gets involved. And I'll try to articulate it in the best way. But I mean, the 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 reason behind the the motive or thought and motive between the mafia hit was that mafia was working closely with CIA. Uh, they had they wanted to they were, had a severe stake in keeping the Batista regime in place in Cuba. They had also coordinated a lot of the Bay of Pigs invasion. They had worked with a lot of people, them and a lot of Cuban ex, expatriates, uh, had coordinated with the CIA on the Bay of Pigs, which was an operation that was already kind of ready to go, and it was a was a deep state operation that was kind of similar to like Trump kind of shuffle off blame on that Navy SEAL raid that happened, and then a guy died. He was like, well, that was an Obama plan. I just took over and just kind of rubber-stamped it. Similar thing with the Bay of Pigs was that like Eisenhower, the Eisenhower administration had rolled with it. JFK was not briefed until he was president, and then they he pulled air support, and the CIA was like, dude, that is the, the only way this operation was ever going to work out. It's going to be a monumental disaster. And he's like, well, I can't, I can't endorse it. So... so De- yeah, uh, uh, well, because he, he didn't want to. He didn't want. He saw it as an American for, foreign military adventure that we didn't. He, we, we were only just not fi- that foreign. I mean, they're just it's like a hundred miles. I mean, away. essentially, yeah, and it was also essentially a, a, for, a former colony of the United States, um, or in in some ways was a former colony of the United States. I mean, regardless, and I, when I say like when I'm criticizing him, I'm only saying that because it was such a disaster. I mean, I'm sure he well, would have done he differently saw, He too. saw that the United States was like, look, we gave advisement to these people that were starting a nationalist movement to take their country back from revolutionaries. And uh, that's... So So having American firepower and American uh, air power involved made it a direct, like could have made it in his mind a, a military quagmire that the United States didn't want to get involved in. Then... You know, about a year later, JFK upped his uh, inv- upped our involvement in Vietnam. 
that's the theory in the Oliver Stone one is that so the Oliver Stone JFK, which a lot of people discredit in a lot of ways, but the whole motivated motivation or thesis of Oliver Stone's JFK is the reason why uh, the reason why the United States um, or the CIA and mafia colluded with to set up Lee Harvey Oswald as a as a patsy was because JFK had made plans or JFK was a pacifist who was interested in de-escalating the CIA and the military industrial complex. And so they had to take him out that there's not a lot of strong evidence. I don't think even though he had just, Oh, you know, actually, you know what I do remember from a Vietnam class that I took was that, um, had there was rampant speculation that had Kennedy not been assassinated, he would have, uh, well, who who was that? what was our relationship with ZM the guy ZM, in Vietnam? Yeah, we propped he, him up. We we uh, we gave him. And we were going to pull out probably if or the the likelihood is that he would have wanted to do that had he lived, and instead Lyndon Johnson didn't want to abandon quote unquote the right. fight that he had started. That's also again most of this information is sourced from Bruce Andrews JFK Cuba and Vietnam uh, class, but uh, at Fordham University <laughs> that I took ten years ago. He's an erotic poet too. Did you know that? I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I did know that. I, uh, Let's uh, make a note to edit in here some of readings of his erotic poetry. Does he have any readings on YouTube or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> I'll do it if he doesn't. Oh, nice. <laughs> I slipped her blouse above my lips. I don't know. We should uh, we should get Bruce on the show. Professor Andrews, come on, come on, Infinity License, come on down. We know you're googling yourself every day. Hopefully, you show up in this result. Um, but. The so uh, there is there was some, were some theories around that that JFK had no intention of committing more resources to Vietnam. Again, that's again the Oliver Stone movie where again there's not really that much evidence to support. I don't think that JFK would have wholeheartedly pulled out of Vietnam. Uh, but they they just think that it's a, it is classic Oliver Stoneism to just kind of go like kind of leap four thoughts ahead, being like, well, not doing doing the conspiracy theory thing, which is just taking a couple laps and being like, well, extend it out to the to the most crazy extent. This could be a, this is a military coup d'état organized by the deep state, um, and and because they wanted to just sell more weapons, uh, I th- you know. Uh, I think the reality the reality of the situation is that I, I, I don't think Oswald acted alone. I don't know if he was a Soviet or um, a Cuban spy, but I do. <laughs> How amazing it would be. The re- my thought about this, though, is that imagine if in these documents, the whole reason why Trump is dropping them is because it does incriminate Ted Cruz's dad. <laughs> like, it was just the ultimate spite move where he's like, he's like I told you, I told him, this is, and it's Ted Cruz's become, And then all of a sudden, every other lie that Trump has told just falls into place as true. Yeah, it would be unreal. And then we find out what those 33,000 emails said. Well, speaking of that, though, kind of a, a side topic, but the Mueller investigation expanded it out to the Podestas today. That There there was some incriminating. The Podestas have been like subpoenaed for some information today. Damn. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's crossing the aisle. <laughs> it, it, at least someone's reaching across the aisle in Washington. Yeah, I know. Even Never if it's moving. Bob Mueller's yeah. ever-expanding dragnet. What if that ends up too big? I mean, it's I think it like, turns out to. the entire American society. <laughs> yeah, eventually his uh, investigation is going to stretch to investigating how Congress can have like a 400% overperforming stock portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, then yeah. they're going to cancel it. They've beaten the market to, to a million things. And then 50 years from now, we're going to be talking about them unsealing the Bob Mueller murder <laughs> files. <laughs> right along with the Antonin Scalia files. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy that Dick Cheney he shot and uh, failed to kill. Yeah, um, th- that was just that was just Dick being clumsy. Um, 
on a hunting trip. Uh, but wasn't it the same trip that Anna and Scalia died on too? Uh, they were similar. It, I think it's in the same way that Sonny Bono died of the same thing that killed the John Kennedy. F. Kennedy Jr., yeah. which was running into a tree while skiing. Yeah, they're not that creative. The the, the globalists. I know they just they just guide people. They just hijack people's skis and use <laughs> use <laughs> intense like geolocation to <laughs> to rocket propel them into trees at hundred miles per hour. Sonny Bono was a uh, was he a senator or a congressman? I don't know if he was national. I think he was a national congressman from California. Oh, really? I yeah. Know he was yeah. a house. Re- he was a representative. That may, yeah. And uh, maybe he was going to introduce some bill saying that we had to de-escalate in Vietnam maybe. <laughs> back in 1998, and uh, they just couldn't have that, and so they ran him into a tree. So, so, but back to the JFK thing. So, what do you, what would your dream? So, mine is that it actually reveals that Ted Cruz's dad was somehow implicated in the the plot to kill. Kennedy. Yeah, that's a cool. So, in other words, what would be what, the, what would be the thing, best thing that yeah. could be revealed in the JFK files? Um, I would maybe he turns out he was uh, not a lucky strike man. He preferred cools. <laughs> he's a menthol uh, guy. He's a, yeah, he's a menthol guy. Uh, he was a slim. Ba- he smoked slims back when uh, that was like a manly thing to do, yeah. which used to be the case. Anything slim. <laughs> um, probably um, some like Hope Solo sh- like fapping style shots of Marilyn Monroe. Oh yeah. <laughs> That I think that is that that actually legitimately could the extent of their relationship with Marilyn Monroe could be a part of the part of the, um, the yeah documentation. and just super close. I don't know if any of you have seen the Hope Solo shots, but uh, yeah, maybe that he had uh, something in addition to Addison's disease and maybe had like a cooler disease. Like um, he was just an aut- autistic weirdo. <laughs> they had to, he, he had debilitating card counting abilities too. And that's why the mafia wanted him because he was actually going into all their casinos and, and, yeah, and he fixing was, the. Uh, fixing he was the game. Ro- he was cleaning them out. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's yeah. A mafia implication. <laughs> uh, secretly, it turns out that uh, JFK was actually six foot four and two hundred thirty pounds, and that's that reality just can't get out. No, he wasn't just this this pneumatic dying skeleton that, <laughs> that was just like almost they had to prop him up with the amphetamines and they're just like oh this is the only way we're, we're keeping this guy alive um the f secretly stood for friggin yeah i don't know there's Which a lot of things that could come out maybe that is a good question about the for questioning conspiracy theorists on the kennedy assassination is that like you guys had to coordinate this turkey turkey shoot in downtown dallas when it's like the guy had serious health problems you couldn't figure out a way to just like yeah. exacerbate the those guy's taking like 80 pills a day to yeah. manage his crippling disability that's the best way you could figure out to assassinate like, okay him. we could i mean we could give this guy some like bad medicine or we could do something like we, or we could put something in his food or like adjust the adjust the temperature at the white house just so it's just free freezing the whole time <laughs> Just like, turn down the just turn down the temperature, and he's like, "Oh, what's going on in here? <laughs> I can't. The thermostat's broken. It says seventy <laughs> degrees. It feels like forty. It's like Kennebunkport over <laughs> up in was I know in that Kennebunkport is the bushes Hyannisport. Hyannisport. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, where where of course Scott Stossel shot himself. Oh really? That's where that what took place. Yeah. Oh, shat himself. I was like, shat himself. Oh, oh, shot like, himself. Oh, no, that's a, after publishing that embarrassing Atlantic about pooping his pants, <laughs> I thought he shot himself. <laughs> his anxiety got so bad. Yeah, after uh, months of, of deliberative editorial process, he realized that he actually did regret it, and uh, unfortunately, yeah, took him, took it on life. So, sorry, Scott. Scott's still around. He's still around. He's still uh, writing about the elite stuff. Anyway. Elite. All right, well... Anyway, so that's so Lenny. Yeah, Lenny wants to to find out more about JFK's weird diseases and Marilyn Monroe's hot picks. Um, 
Because I don't know, I don't know anything about that portion of the conspiracy theory, but there's certainly. I think it was in that Bill O'Reilly, like Bill O'Reilly, wrote some Killing Kennedy. Yeah, and in, in Killing Kennedy, he wrote a really graphic part about like the death of Marilyn Monroe, and of course he did. Yeah, and Th- it, <laughs> that's that's straight out of those. I don't know if uh, Apple News ever pushes you the Fox News results, uh, like the top stories from Fox News. They're always yeah. just salacious tabloid shit about, uh, you know. Teen, eighteen-year-old found in woods, and it's like a hot picture of her. Yeah. Um, or you know, um, you'll never believe what this you know te- teacher sex ring you'll, says you'll about never, Mormonism. You'll never and, believe what this uh, famous uh, talk show host pervert got paid by our company to be <laughs> quiet about something, and then we only fired him six days and later. If the picture, if the <laughs> tile picture was of one of the hot interns that. Uh, Bill O'Reilly or, or Roger Ailes uh, sexually molested, then yes, that would be one of their stories. It's it's the most lascivious uh, tabloid bullshit. Fox News is, is trash. It's, it's unbelievable that the echo chamber, though, is th- that it's so bad. I had to explain. So people that watch Fox News, it's, it's pretty impressive in the media saturation age that we have and people that are saturated by that media don't understand why Bill O'Reilly is off the air and don't understand. Like I had to explain to my dad that about how Fox News had to pay millions of dollars in a settlement because of what Bill O'Reilly did, and he had he had no concept. He's like, "Oh, I thought I thought the the liberal news just got him off the air," and I was like, "No, he's, he's a, like they." And he's like, "Well, what's your source?" I'm like, "Court documents that say that he harassed somebody to a point of where they they had to uh, pay millions of dollars to the plaintiffs." Yeah, um, it's 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 unreal that like that their their audience is just so captive that they're just like, "Oh, well, he just." He just has, uh, you know, those classic Long Island values. It's partly that, and it's partly just that there's no stories that stick around anymore. I mean, there it, we have such a short memory for stuff. I mean, I think that among people who reveled in the loss of Bill O'Reilly, um, you know, that's obviously the main identifier that he has now for us because yeah. it's like, oh, we don't, we have to discredit him. He discredited himself. He very provably got caught, you know in as basically a sexual assaulter. Right. Um, and so that's a defining sort of, uh, pin that we can hang on him. Uh, but if you're not emotionally invested in the demise of Bill O'Reilly, uh, and you're just subject to what the news is showing you, the, the vicissitudes of news coverage is just too quick for any story like that to linger. I think, um, yeah, well, Matt Christie I think it's something of an honest mistake, even though that's, I, I, it's not an honest mistake, but it, but I can see why someone who is not invested in it yeah. would not know that. And Matt Christman on Twitter has pointed that out about how, do you know how, so in the 20 day news cycle after Columbine, the top headline was Columbine. Whereas in the 20 day, now how, how far are we removed from the Vegas shooting, which was worse. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And we, it's not even, you know, yeah. certainly it's now still, it's, it's this, it, we have no we have no concept of longevity of any of these things. No, yeah. perfect. I think that moves yeah. pretty well into our next topic about the uh, American global global hegemony that we love to talk and pronounce so hard. Uh, uh, Hennessy hegemony. I'm uh, part of the hegemony. Hegemony because I also didn't realize that before as the whole news broke around condolences gate and and that news story was breaking and Trump was like, nah, he knew what he was signing up for. I don't know if a guy who signed up for the American military knew he's like, oh, you want me to go defend Niger <laughs> or you want me to go do something? And like, I don't know where Niger I was like, Niger is in Africa, I think adjacent to Chad. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had to look it up. And then I was like, so then all of us are doing this whole thing first where it's like, yeah, it's kind of that's the A, that's a horrible way to talk to, to somebody who recently lost their husband. <laughs> 
B, wait a second, what were we doing in Niger? Because even Benghazi, who a lot of Americans did not know where Benghazi was in Libya, there was still the there was still a lot going on around Libya at the time. So there was still kind of some political context to be like, okay, there is a reason why there's... there's A CIA black site. Yeah, CIA. But like you, what you're being sold is that there's, you know, we have to... for some whatever, some sort of compelling... There's a compelling reason to overthrow Gaddafi and there's been a lot of movement in like surrounding Arab Spring kind of stuff. So people could at least connect that one, the, like, connect the dots on that a little bit. But now we have this issue, which Niger, which is similar to a Benghazi's scenario where it's like, wait, what? These American guys were out in a danger and out past the line on a very like, dangerous part territory that was not secured by American forces at all. And like died in really graphic, horrific ways to the point of where they couldn't even have an open casket for the guy. They're like, because he, they, they left him in the desert essentially. They didn't recover his body for two days and he was, yeah, it's pretty like pretty gruesome. Ugh. Yeah. So they're like the widow, I think asked about that. She's like, why can't I have an open casket? They're like, you know, we can't, it's not going to happen. It's, you uh, don't want that. It's pretty gross in there. Uh, so what, what, were we supposed to have been doing in Niger? I have no idea. Nobody knows. It's like, it was a, a build as like as a military advisement uh, camp. It's where they were advising local military on how to fight somebody. I assume Al Shabaab. And then having just do. If you want it done right, you got to go do it yourself and yeah. send your own boots in the ground there, to places there, where you haven't acknowledged. There's um yeah. There's a lot of hazy details on what exactly was happening with the um with the whole process. Um, nobody knows why. And that's why it was talking, we were talking about where earlier where people were like, oh, hold up, Donald Trump was an asshole to a troop? Wait, hold up. What were they doing in Niger? Oh, <laughs> hold up. Why can't he have an open casket? There are also all these questions. People are like, are just so the American public, I think, is just so exhausted by the idea. They're like, well, I guess, we've just kind of just quietly accepted their, the fact that they're like, I don't know, Iraq, Afghanistan, Niger, Somalia. You know, the same thing happened in the early 90s with the the Black Hawk Down raid, you know, people are like, hold on a second, Somalia? <laughs> like that, that's a. Well, that, I think that the story with that was that they were trying to restore some sort of order in Mogadishu and it was uh, seen as a politically legit- legitimate thing. And then all of a sudden, it turns out they can kill Americans too. And everyone was like, ah, fuck that. Yeah. I mean, so was, there was this yeah. uh, article that was in the New York Times uh, that spurred your interest today. What yeah. was it? It was a. <laughs> what was that article? Um, all right, let me get my phone. That's right. Uh, it was called "America's Forever Wars" by the editorial board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the New York Times editorial board. What a up and comer! Yeah, good. Yeah. I've heard of this. I've been following editorial, editorial board his whole career. Editorial board. Editor- <laughs> editorial board sounds like a, a failed surf company. <laughs> No, it sounds like um, you know in, in Atlas Shrugged, it's like Francis Dansonia or something yeah. is the is the the blue blooded. Uh, it's not, it's some sort of Spanish extraction. My name is Editorial Board. I went to Princeton. <laughs> My father uh, is four people. He's a consortium of <laughs> banks in Italy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the New York Times Editorial Board. We've just been at war constantly, nonstop since World War II, and we have a standing military that's constantly at war. The Pentagon put out numbers where it said that forty thousand or close to forty thousand of the American military is in locations unknown. So, like the American public, so you're just a if you're just that's why the thing is like about the Trump. Hey, he signed up for this, you know, whatever. Is that yeah? Maybe he did, but it's like did. 
David LaJohnson, I think his name, or La David Johnson, the the guy who died. Uh, uh, both you and he don't know his name. Yeah, <laughs> you and Trump. So, okay. um, yeah, but the guy who died. Do you think he really probably signed up to die in a weird advisory mission? To I that? always say that when they, I mean, you know, that well, this is they knew what they were signing up for. I bet they wouldn't have signed up for it if they knew. Even like, know? well, that's when every time the conservatives try to trot out Pat Tillman, and people are like, uh, you know, Pat Tillman was in open correspondence with Noam Chomsky before he. Die, was died <laughs> from friendly fire. Well, they acknowledged was, that he died. And they, they, there eventually, was a eventually huge cover up out, yeah, was, that yeah, but tainted they, McChrystal. And they, they they eventually did because they wanted to use him as a propaganda machine when he was like super against the war in Iraq. Had signed up explicitly because of Afghanistan and quit his NFL career to go pursue that uh, what he thought was the right thing to do uh, in in the name of his country. And then was openly like, "This is not what I signed up for at all." And the punchline is that we're still fighting both of those wars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in a virulent, festering way. Uh, on top of a co- several other wars that nobody even knew about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, including apparently, probably in Niger back then too. Yeah. Uh, I think that this, um, we're in an era where it's about time that we start questioning some of this stuff for a number of reasons. Um, one is that we're nearing just the natural sort of end of our hegemony, I think. Yeah. China's basically undertaking arguably the largest engineering project in human history. Um, I actually, no, not arguably. It's by far the largest. Uh, they're basically trying to connect all of their side of Eurasia with Africa. Uh, and it's going to be a route. It's a highway basically that is by land, by sea. And it's just the Silk Road part two, bigger and better. Just trying Michael to, Bay Silk Road. Trying to take uh, Africa's resources, extract Africa's resources. Extra, well, yeah, and establish. And I think that they're banking that Africa is really where the next big gr- growth is going to come from in you know, global marketism and global power. It's certainly strategically powerful. Important. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest continents in the world. Super central. And there's a lot of good reasons to try to take, yeah. and it's also ripe for the picking. Right. So, uh, and not only that, but the Western uh, countries have had um, are, are sort of browbeaten about their scramble for Africa. Right. right. And so China feels no such cultural compunction, and it's just inv- putting a ton of direct oh, investment there. Yeah. They're sending a bunch of people to go live in Africa. All of Africa is crawling with Chinese people. Yeah. And they're about to be very explicitly tied into you, you the to, Chinese market. You, you've been to Uganda lately? Crawling with Chinese people. <laughs> no, it's true. And then, and they're interbreeding and stuff. And so you're going to have you know, the future look of Africa is going to be kind of like black Asian, which mm-hmm. sounds pretty cool. So Tiger Woods? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was great golfers. He was the three. Couple Asian, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some white guys that like work their way in there. Yeah. Um, so we always do. Salty British guys, <laughs> I can imagine. But um, yeah, and so you know, there's there's all of this this movement towards. Um, it's like that uh, Australian reporter said when he was summarizing Trump at the G8. Do you remember that? His takeaway from Trump cutting a lonely, awkward figure at the proceedings was that um, the decline of American leadership in the world is accelerating now, and that seems to be what this sort of isolationist nationalist. Uh, is go- is going for right, and we talked before on this podcast about um, Rex Tillerson and uh, I think it's James Mattis, um, sh- or was it Kelly or someone, uh, showing Trump, uh, trying to pitch to him why there was the need for eight hundred military bases around the world, and mm-hmm. Trump was just didn't get it and because he's when, stupid. But yeah. if he was smart, he would also not get it <laughs> because increasingly this is, it's like the question presents itself. If what is the point of global militarism if the only thing you get from it is global military conflict? Yeah, 
I mean, China, nobody wants to police the world. We're the only country that's brazen and, and dumb and bold enough to try to actually police the world because it costs a shit ton of money. You can't ever do it correctly. Do you think though China would eventually have to take up that mantle if they're going for what they're what they think they're going for? Yeah. I think that their the, the benefit uh, from a sort of global puppet master, um, top down control perspective of the you know the world trade uh, order you know the, the the world order that we currently live in just sort of this post Bretton Woods model is that you don't really need to police it in a military sense, you end up turning it into an opt-in system instead of an opt-out. So the um, benefits of being part of the global trade are so indisputable that anyone who, you know, any two-bit dictator or whatever, instead of worrying about, um, you know, rogue nations, uh, the way that we have been in the last 25 years of unipolar American control of the globe, you start to say, all right, you want to be in or not? No, it's fine. And it's not us that's saying it. It's China's saying that. Right. Um, and by the way, the party that we're going to fucking throw when China finally takes over, just the, all the weight lifted off our shoulders. <laughs> America's just going to go nuts for like a generation and a half of just pure, aimless virtual reality hedonism. <laughs> do you think that, but do, do you think though our, our part, part of our hedonism is just fueled by our, by our American global military power, you know, with that diminished and with us not being the ones making, making the deals as, as president deals would say, and while China's screwing us over on all these things, would our life expectancy and our, our current standard of living go down or would it stay the same or would it go up? You know, I don't think, it, I don't think there you would. No, I think it would all, I think everything domestically would benefit. Um, well, we'd have certainly have a lot more people dying in weird foreign areas. That's uh, Well, no, I mean, we would, we would remove, okay. If America didn't have to be, didn't see itself as a global policeman anymore, didn't see itself as having to enforce this multinational, but largely American project of, you know, installing these people, I think that we would um, be able to cut, let's say, half of the military budget and still have a lot left over to fund public health care and free education and well, that's all the these idea. other yeah. initiatives that would make life better. Yeah, um, We would ideally become, I would like to think, open. You know, uh, we would feel, I don't know. I don't know if we'd become more open, but you'd like to think that life would get better. I mean, if, if you could put the idea of the current state of American foreign policy to a vote, no one would vote for the current status quo of having to be in all these places. But then why, then I don't understand. Then this, this is where the rhetoric and what I agree with you that I think Amer- uh, people are oftentimes, and it's the reason why we have Donald Trump too, is because people are just like, look, we're, we don't, we're sick of the longest war in American history going, continuing to go on for what seems like an unwinnable. And, and also what's in it for us. Well, yeah, it's, exactly. it's bad and it hurts us. Yeah, and it's, there's it's no benefit. It's us. only, we're only wasting money. We're losing a bunch of, if we had cheap of oil people, access it, or something, I could even see it yeah. on an economic level. Like, Hey guys, we need this and we would all get it, but there's nothing even like that. Yeah. It's a pride thing. Yeah. Um, and it totally is. And so then, but, at the same time, this kind of rolls, actually, we can roll into our, uh, the next conversation, which is about the deficit hawk spending, or the, the article, Stephanie Kelton's op-ed in the New York Times, another New York Times op-ed, um, but about how, you know, without a blink of the eye, you know, with a single pair in the Medicare for All bill coming up, or Bernie's Medicare for All, Bernie Care, people are calling it, 
the what you hear from conservative dads across the nation is, but who's going to pay for it? But nobody even blinks an eye when we just the, the Congress just expanded the the military budget by half a trillion dollars essentially, and there's uh, nobody who because they don't think of you know a, like a, a stupid F twenty two program that yeah, just is a money totally. pit to giving people a job and of caring and then also spending money to drive the cost of healthcare down. Uh, and so that everyone has access to a mar- like has access to a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think because people think people have a weird way of thinking. Like, well, we got to spend money on that, but like giving everyone access to kind of affordable medicine, and it ended that, up being more of an increase than Trump had requested. Right. right. It's, and and they just rub, again rubber stamped it. Nobody even bats an eye. Deficit hawks don't even care about it. But they do, when all of a sudden when all these other things come up, whether it's a program that would like like single payer healthcare, they lose their minds. And I don't understand why that's the case. Why are we so invested in just like what throwing good money after bad in the military? I would assume that the yeah. I mean, so first of all, in, in terms of practicality, let's not downplay when I say it's a pride thing. What I mean is it's a like it's a corporate control thing. It's a matter of access to markets and being able to influence, um, you know, through like trade deals, like the transfer partnership, um, through various levers, being able to exert a very elite sort of American power, uh, to exploit basically markets that are untapped. That's what I mean by like, it's, it's pride, but it's, it, I mean, it's very strategic. Uh, I think it is ideological though. I, I, I think that there is sort of a cultural basis in why we have to support all, uh, support this huge machine. Um, I think that there's, uh, on the political side, you have the argument, the story, which is that we need this, I mean, it's called the department of defense. Yeah. Uh, we need this as a existential, uh, bulwark. You know, when Trump was talking about his border control, he had some fucking bullshit Ayn Rand formulation, which was uh, a country is a, is defined by the ability to keep out people who aren't its citizens. Now, do we have a country or do we not? If we're letting people go across the border, then we don't have a country. You know, it defies yeah. the, yeah. the it, it was, it, it, I'm sure he did get it from Ayn Rand or someone like that. But, you know, that if that level of scare tactic can can resonate with people, it, I can see how this idea that this is for defense, this is for fighting for freedom, you know. Um, uh, that all of this military spending, a lot of which goes towards, forget to our troop station, it's just proxy war, you know, that yeah. we're paying for. It's supporting the Videla regime and, you know, Pinochet. And, yeah. You know, and, and all of this entire, uh, this power that we exert, I could see how on a domestic level, simplified for the sort of American masses, it could be seen as an existential thing. But I, I, I do want to return to the pride thing. I think that we, we discount at our peril, the importance of Americans feeling like they own the world. Um, if you travel anywhere in the world, and, and by the way, when I say this, I, I think that a lot of liberals would also, frankly, miss it if it were gone. I think I can totally empathize, and I, I feel that we should probably reduce our, our global military footprint, but let's also acknowledge that if the American... Uh, specter. If the, if the if the idea of of American citizenship were to diminish in global power, such that if you're traveling abroad, they're not going to kidnap you or kill right. you because you, now you're really asking for trouble, right. and you don't. You know, uh, there's a great line that David Reef, who's a journalist who's written about um, humanitarian crises in Africa and other uh, developing nations, has said that. Um, you know, the, he's kind of very cynical about humanitarian efforts and um, and the state of like global NGOs and stuff. And one of the things he says is that when you um, get 
you're always American first. You can think that you're there in solidarity with people or to help people, but when you get kidnapped, it turns out you're American because that's what you're going to rely on right. to, and that's what the, the chip that they know they have to extract larger ransom, you know? Right. And if we lose that cachet, it's going to be a big, big deal in the American psyche. And, you know, I don't think that's the main reason why the military industrial complex and why, you know, multinational corporations are lobbying for. Um, all of the you know the trade agreements that we have and stuff, but I think that it, it's very fundamental and undergirds the idea of the existential need for uh, military power. Okay, uh, but I guess so. But then it's to, to the point of where we have to spend, it doesn't matter. The price tag doesn't matter to us because money's not real. We we well, then that's the, have well, the petrodollar. We yeah. we print our country is able to print the globe's currency. But that's but that's yeah I agree and I'm on I'm on board with that which is why I don't I still don't understand the deficit hawk like uh, that comes from both Democrats and Republicans where they're like well we have a deficit it's like it it doesn't work our economy doesn't work like a household it's not like you have a limited credit line and it's like we have a central bank and a petrodollar and a, a, a huge amount of resource wealth and our country's uh, currency. Is the global reserve currency? Well, so, for yeah, now, for now. Do you, I mean, that's I don't the, see that changing anytime. Soon. I think it could. Yeah. I definitely think it could. Uh, China actually tried to introduce a new alternative to the petrodollar recently. There, I mean, I, it could be a cryptocurrency. Honestly, there's no real reason. We we should. I, I I never really understood modern monetary theory, but we should read about that and then talk about that one that's day. What, on I mean, that's what Stephanie Kelton is all about. We should. Read it doesn't make any papers. sense though, because there's it's it's. All money is a convention. So, like the, the easy yeah, it's way a means to, of exchange. Yeah. So, why summarize what the what the op-ed was about, um, and then we can talk about like why I think that that's a very precarious position to take. Um, the op the op-ed, Stephanie Kelton's op-ed essentially was saying that p- people, both Democrats and Republicans, uh, oftentimes will make the allusion to, "Hey, we can't we can't spend our way out of this." You know, if we're running up these high deficits, we got to keep our our budget in control. Her a modern monetary theory at a very surface level, as far as I understand it, is that like, hey, look, you shouldn't worry about deficit spending. Deficit spending, if you're doing, if you, even if you're running a deficit, a deficit of ten dollars is like some. It's it's a not net loss. It's not just somebody lit ten dollars on fire because it's those that, are ten dollars of assets for someone else. Right, exactly. So it's going. In, so what really the idea of modern th- monetary concept is that taxes are essentially used as a tool and they're raised or lowered accordingly to keep inflation down. And kind of like manage the money, manage our money system in a way that's like, A, we can uh, pump money into uh, whether it's infrastructure or healthcare or military or whatever it is based on the also keep being aware of what we have in natural resources and labor resources and uh, and other well, natural, yeah, and, and I think those we can set aside because natural resources and, and human capital are things that every country has, and we have some, we have a lot of natural resources. We don't have as much as, you know, I, I think probably Brazil has a comparable amount. I think China right. probably has a lot, um, and so that's kind of in, in a, you know, in everything being fair, like in a natural state, uh, nat- our resources are what we would compete on. The idea of our preponderance uh, monetarily is a very fabricated thing. And I think modern monetary policy takes for granted a lot that in a way that I really don't understand how it's possible. Like one of the concepts of it I know is that since you have to pay taxes in dollars, there's always going to be a demand for dollars. So you somehow like it doesn't matter how much deficit you run up because you can always, yeah, you because we control 
Um, it's like c- Catholic uh, philosophy. You know, if you agree with a million precepts, then yeah, okay, now I agree that Jesus was the Lord and all this stuff. You have to agree to all these unrealistic precepts. And if China ever wanted to launch a war against us, they wouldn't use a weapon. They would just flood the market with dollars because so they, just, just to create a runaway hyperinflationary yeah, uh, and, 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 and hyperinflation and, and plummet. But when uh, that, but that would, are? but that would also screw them over too. Like that's like, a, that's essentially, that's a, that's, they're also pulling the trigger. They're simultaneously shooting us and committing suicide. I think they're, in that well, scenario. in if they, not necessarily, I mean, yes, that thus far they kept because we're their biggest trade partner. And so in order for us to keep buying, being able to afford what they, you know, in order to keep the, the, the one, well, and we're, we're also a lot of their, their credit lines are also, you know what I mean? Just cause they're, they're running surplus stashes of us treasury bills. Doesn't necessarily, they, they're also on like the line of like China certainly has like, uh, well, no, they, they spend, I mean, they're, they're receiving a lot of foreign investment. So they've cooled down first of all, which is yeah. always because if they can't, if they stop buying dollars and we keep putting out debt, um, at some point that collapses. So now we're reliant on China's uh, in, insane growth. It's just any inf- it's a physical impossibility for something on perpetual based on perpetual growth to continue going. And to assume that it's all just okay uh, is su- super naive to me. Um, we actually uh, put this on the actual Infinity License blog a couple of years ago, but um, I remember there was a story that seemed really scary to me. It was that. Um, Quantitative easing had gotten out of control to such a point that when they wanted to raise rates, they couldn't do it in the normal mechanism. They had to do it by basically putting out even more money in a specific asset class or something so that they could drive up rates there and then dissuade investment, you know, drive up whatever. Just moving, just playing basically torque games instead of actually like pulling back money out of the system. Well, this is the original quantitative easing uh, process. Yeah. Or, uh, well, it was, it was yeah. because yeah. quantitative easing had gone on so out of control that right. they couldn't, they could no longer control rates through normal mechanisms. Right. It, and we can't do that. I mean, it's, so you're saying the central bank is, the central bank already has lost control of the normal, like the levers that it kind of has. Yeah, so that's, has. that's really where modern monetary theory gets out of hand. Cause it's just like, well, they are, they already, the, the Pandora's box is already open and we can't, we can't even control rates the way we traditionally did. So we printing, just printing money and unloading it into and doing it in the, I mean, or printing money. And then also the U S government just saying like, Oh, okay, we're just going to crank a, you know, no, a new, whether it's a new WPA program or a, a new infra- infrastructure program where it's like, we're, we're just going to pay for that. And know? that would be, I like fine because that would be a real wealth creator because people would have jobs and stuff. I mean, the way that they've been doing it has been sending it through the finance sector. It's been cult pooling well, so there. Then, yeah. I think that one of the main reasons why there has been so much in uh, disproportionate growth in the top classes is because, um, and you know, like 1% in the point, 1% is doing even better. It's yeah. because this money that is being created at this rate is pooling in this investor class, which is hoarding it. If the federal reserve wanted to start spending on uh, direct stimulus, which would be, by the way, I mean, it was crazy when they brokered a deal for, to sell Bear Stearns. I don't think we're that far off from the federal reserve, just launching a direct stimulus program, just putting money direct, just shooting it, like mainlining it into the economy. Yeah. But even if they did that, that would be better, I think, than um, using, okay. the, using yeah. this financial, this grease trap that doesn't let anything out. 
Well, and, uh, that's, and it, 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 for a lot of reasons, it doesn't let anything out because the people that then capture that that money are also the people that are mainly lobbying against taxes or like the government reclaiming any of that money and then putting it back into then the government having not a deficit. So it's like that. that's the kind of recursive cycle they get in. They're like, well, we can't spend on new programs because we have a deficit, deficit, even though we can spend on a brand new, like a $50 yeah. billion dollar expansion of the, the military budget. But... And then, and then they sell the old, the old song and dance where it's like, well, we gotta, we gotta tighten our belts, and you know, America. And then, but, but in reality, it's like, look, there wouldn't be a deficit if either you did what you propose, or the Fed, maybe like this, the different governors' boards of the Federal Reserve just like pump money into their different. Wouldn't that be crazy if each, like, if they, if the Federal Reserve just had this genuine takeover of American policy where they did that like direct investment? But so, <laughs> it, like, New York, the New York board and the Dallas board and the San Francisco board would all have to like. Cover so they become fiefdoms. And yeah, then yeah. They start, I yeah, think that's what it would do. I think they'd be like, "All right, you each have this much money. Go, like you can unload it anywhere." Well, the first thing they would do yeah. is uh, probably start paying Social Security and, and entitlement programs directly because those are the biggest contributors of the debt right. more than the military. Um, but yeah, I mean, cutting the military, paying. I mean, but that even that doesn't work then because you're still creating a, a, a necessarily debt-inducing uh, money out of thin air. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't scale. It's, it's all, I guess my, my kind of take on, on this op-ed, which was, which was basically kind of trying to, uh, reinforce this mirage that we're all collectively agreeing to, um, money is always a, just a, so, just a construct. It's just an agreement between people. And so to, con- to confirm the fact that, Hey, we're all in this together. And you know, there, there, you know, this, this very precarious system can continue as long as we want. Yeah, as long as we agree to it. And then, but the problem is left unstated: is that if any crisis hits, yeah. if the Chinese economy collapses, if there's something horrible happens in North Korea, and uh, you know American troop ends up meeting a Chinese troop, and one shoots the other, and all of a sudden now we're in a direct fight with yeah. with China. They well, decide in the first Korean War. <laughs> China has uh, you've heard of like fuck you money versus fuck me money. Like yeah. I'm so rich I can actually hurt myself. Yeah, yeah. You know if China gets to that point and then we get in a fight with them or something all of a sudden this entire system collapses um this is just a huge a huge mirage and like i really really don't think like that we that our monetary system is going to live longer than we do oh wow i, I mean, mean it, maybe it, do you think maybe i don't watch too much youtube or something but i it, it seems like it just is at a point of breaking i mean look well, at the fact that's that, the reason why bitcoin is uh, I, going through i think the people are just looking for any reserve currency that's not uh an american dollar that they can easily move money into yeah and, totally and, and bitcoin is is uh definitely still like a really small class i mean i think the total market cap of it is like it's not it's nothing comparable to any major currency but i think that i understand why people aside from the like ancap weirdos who you know are like this is the future currency you know uh but you know the idea that like hey we need an, an alternate like a release valve um, for, uh, you know, if nothing else, like a separate financial system to, to put our money in separate from wall street. Um, you know, I understand the reason why, uh, there's a benefit to, to, uh, escaping, um, you know, when central, I, I think the central banks are good, but when they make unstable decisions like this, it doesn't really work. It doesn't scale that well. Yeah. And it's open to, to calamity. You're open to calamity. This whole <laughs> this whole thing is calamitous. It's a well. That, I think we should we should definitely 
So of those scenarios, I think we should reintroduce the proposed segment of uh, what's got, what's the next financial crisis? Because oh I think, yeah, what's the next bubble? What's the next bubble? Because I think, I, especially our, I mean, a lot of generations deal with it, and I think every you know eight to ten years there is always one. We lived through certainly the biggest one since the depression, but there even before that there was a dot com bubble, which was a pretty pretty big one. So we're kind of always, I think, it, in my mind, and I guess I also grew up in a family where my parents worked for banks. So it was kind of a thing that was always a topic of conversation at home is like, why do speculative bubbles happen and that kind of stuff? Um, is like what, what could be the, ne- I, but like you talked a lot about a lot of potential scenarios, like whether it's just China, China and the United States engaging in some kind of weird North Korean land war. Uh, you know, whether it's just, we just like it all, the house of cards that it, the federal reserve is just like, everyone realizes like, uh Oh, this is like, this is not worth anything. Um, I don't know what, uh, do you have any, uh, uh, should we say that for another time? Or should we, what, uh, the, the, the pro, like, like a prescription or what's, like what what's I think the next, gonna... what's the next bubble? Just take a random <laughs> early. Like... Uh, I would say the next, but I mean, I'm completely speaking ignorantly now, but, um, I would say the next, you mean on the level of like, what's the next great recession going to yeah, come from? Or like, the, what's the next I think like, we're class over, bubble? Yeah. The next great recession. Bubble. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, dude, you know, everyone thinks that the apocalypse is coming. So I guess you may as well go big or go home with these types of predictions. I think that it could totally happen that, um, uh, entitlements, you know, sometimes at some point, like, uh, social security payments stop clearing. Maybe they strategically, um, choose to eliminate, you know, Medicaid or something. Yeah. Um, and if that, I mean, yeah, if if they eliminate Medicaid, that would be, or or cut it, you know, block grants. What, what is the, Dude, we came within John McCain's addled thumbs down of yeah. actually passing something that would have effectively done just that. Yeah. You know, block grants would have required a, you know, devastating cuts to Medicaid, and there would have been a lot of people that couldn't get it. And all of a sudden, what really is it, you know, what stake do they have in the society anymore? Um, there's a lot of inve- – or, or look at the fucking – dude, the, the, even the, the national debt – yeah. uh, service itself is unstable. If they, for some reason, default – on the debt again, which I don't think is going to happen. I think they came as close to that as they're going to come to that. But that would throw the financial markets into chaos. And the reason people are afraid of a fi- of a recession now is because we're not in shape to handle it. No, like we were barely in shape to handle it in two thousand nine. If that if something like that had happens now, it's the end. It's a complete cleavage of society. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what I'm. That's why I am fearful of it. Is because I think I don't know what it will be, but it just does seem like this high wire act that's going on and. Meanwhile, I was talking to Meg about this the other day where, you know, she was, we're talking about money and finances and all that stuff. And she's saying, well, we realistically don't have enough money to buy a house on Long Island or or New Jersey or something like that. And we realistically don't have money. I'm like, yeah, okay. But like Meg, that's like, that is disappointing. And we can certainly try our best to save our money. And we're in a relatively good position relative. And maybe we could be better with our our personal finances. But think about Meg and I, who are two college educated professional people that have like stable jobs and all that stuff. Whites too. Yeah. And white, white people. So that, that if we're having that conversation and if other, like, and how many people do we know that it's like a handful of people sure have like houses and all that stuff. But a lot of that's based on either inherited wealth or something like that. Like where it, it's there, there, there's not, we're, we're not alone and we're, we're certainly not a generation of people that's buying homes at, at like at a crazy rate. So somewhere along the way, like it's got, something's got to break where it, <laughs> and, and why is that the case? It's because you're in debt. Yeah. It's because private debt. I mean, forget about public debt. If in fact, probably the best way to attack people who are super deficit hawks is like, Hey, you know what? Debt is a problem. Why don't we focus on, I, I forget what the number is. I should have looked this up, but the amount of private debt 
exceeds public debt by so many times. Yeah. This country is so over leveraged privately. That's a way bigger ticking time bomb that's waiting to explode. Absolutely. And, and and why is it that why is it that we have that debt? It's because we have gotten addicted to the, you know, we need more growth, growth, growth at all costs. And so you end up just prioritizing personal debt uh, and the and your access to it over any kind of fiscal sanity. You know, forget the government. The government the government is fine. Like it's people that are being pushed into this and all of it is a microcosm of itself. It's unsustainable growth. It's divorced of any fundamentals. We are in uh, an unprecedented stock market run right now. Yeah. Okay. And it is, it is, we're on eggshells for some reason. The stock market has never had as successful uh, uh, 10 years as it's had now, as it's having right now, or well, let's say, you know, nine years, eight yeah. years. And if that ends all of a sudden people are so frazzled, yeah. it's going to be a crash again. I mean, and then that's why it was, and we didn't bring this, I meant to bring this up. It's going to be a crash, I think, way worse than 2008 and 2009. And it's also, Donald Trump is not equipped to handle it because he didn't understand. He just saw the stock market go up and assumed that we, like, that's not how it works, man. If the stock market's up, it doesn't mean America is all of a sudden rich. It doesn't mean, like, <laughs> and it, and yeah, that he said that it, it uh, the market cap increase of the Dow somehow ate out of the national debt. So yeah. he actually lowered it. He's such a fucking idiot. Yeah, he's, yeah, uh, we have fucking Donald Trump as a president. You think any any of our institutions, the government is like half empty right now, first of all. The, the people that are there are idiots. Yeah. They're, and they're all venal, connected people who are going to make sure that they win out no matter what happens. We are in the worst. We, I already, I personally, forget the society hates each other. I personally would be willing to go to war with some of the citizen, my fellow American citizens, if it came down to a fight over water or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And th- we are in bad shape. And I think that a lot of it stems from the fact that there had to be, we are we are junkies. We are junkies to prosperity. We stopped being able to make it uh, grow authentically. And now it's late stage capitalism. It's all artificial. Yeah. And this rug's going to fall out at some point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, that's a pretty good place to leave that topic. I think you want to move on to you know, Elon Musk. Yeah, let's talk about points. Elon Musk very briefly. This kind of touches into some of the issues we were talking about. So, um, so uh, there was a story this week that um, uh, Elon Musk apparently he's not he's not being kind to the workers. Nope. And uh, there, he he, um, he's, he said he's like I saw something where he's just like he's like people used to work on Saturdays here. And he was like mad about it. It's like, we used to have like an energy, like a startup energy around here. Like people used to come in on the weekends and it's like now that there are big legit companies, like people, guess what, Elon, people aren't like all crazy, insane weirdos like you. Yeah. And I mean, I respect that he works that hard, but yeah, he also, he's, for he's him. a world historical figure. Yeah. Um, the story that happened recently was that uh, he fired um, a bunch of people. They, Tesla yeah. fired uh, like 200 employees or something. And, um, Tesla fired hundreds of employees, hundreds of employees, and uh, allegedly a lot of them were, um, it was was supposedly for performance because Mm -hmm. there's a California law that states that if it's not for performance, you have to give them some sort of warning, which sounds really weird, by the way. Like, please note, you are going to be fired like two weeks from now. Well, I guess it's like, hey, we're we're cutting the budget. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, it's still, I mean, as someone who has been fired, I can't imagine still coming to work after, you know, being, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, they got out of uh, adhering to that law by saying that it was for performance reasons, which exempts them from having to give them that warning. And um, and supposedly that's bullshit. The people said I had was I was not a low performer, and I but I what I was doing was trying to lead organizing efforts to try to join the UAW for Tesla employees. And there's been hist- a hit long history, a, a recorded history 
of Tesla employees um, saying that their working conditions were really bad. One guy said that there was an injury every day. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the thing that, that really piqued me on this was that, so that first, first of all, fuck Tesla for, for that. Um, people online uh, started commenting about how Elon Musk is out of touch. He's just a plutocrat. Don't ever think for a second that he's not, uh, he doesn't look at you like scum. He's just trying to make cars for rich people. And that also angered me because it's like, we have someone who's basically a modern Archimedes, you know, or like a Leonardo da Vinci or something. And he, what he's doing, forget SpaceX. I think that stuff is cool. And I think that actually it's a validator of what his overall claims are that he can make the impossible happen and rockets land back on earth. But if what he's doing with um, trying to make households able to run on batteries and collect that power through solar panels that are, you know, aesthetically laid out on the roof, it's incredible. And, and he's made, um, he's led to incredible advances in um, the power of electric cars and the cultural uh, pull of electric cars it is a very, very monumental shift that he is uh, spearheaded. And discounting that just because he's, he's got horrible labor practices seems short-sighted to me. I think my ultimate take on this is I definitely don't want to endorse the kind of slimy tactics that he is. I mean, he, he's intimidating workers. He's open. I mean, it, it's just open. It's like P- right. Pinkerton type shit. Yeah. Um, but the only reason I like Elon Musk is that I want this shit to work. You know, I want all of his whole grand plan to happen. I want a, a clean, uh, renewable energy future. And I think that he's got to be a little bit smarter. Um, forget ethics. I don't give a shit about ethics. I don't get uh, about his ethics. I mean, I don't, I don't give a shit whether he's a good person or a bad person. I want, even if he falls out of favor and go, turns into Howard Hughes and someone picks it up, that's fine with me. What I want is for the public face of the revolution of clean energy, um, and sort of, uh, to to be more embraced the way that it has been thus far with the popularity of Tesla. And if he starts ruining that by becoming an open, completely out-of-touch plutocrat that tries to intimidate workers, then he's not going to succeed at that, and that's bad for everyone. Why Then why is he? Why can't he figure out some way to treat... I, I got to imagine, if he's some kind of genius, then why can't he figure out a way to treat his workers like humanely and have them work in, in a safe environment and be like, hey, look, there's an expectation. Everyone should be proud to work for Tesla and feel like they're represented and working on a great project that could potentially change the way we live our lives. And you're also, you know, it's a big privilege to work here, but why does he, ha- why, why can't he figure, why can't he crack that? He can figure out how to make a rocket land of like in reverse, like, uh, <laughs> and, but he can't figure out how to just like get pay, pay a person enough money to live and then like, not, and not like get their like hand chopped off. That's and, like, uh, uh, harder than rockets landing. I forgot to tell you, dude, I totally agree. I mean, yeah. the, one of the big, um, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying to say that, you know, Elon Musk is the most overrated human in the world. Like this is all. PR stuff, which I don't think is true. He's, he's literally physically doing things. Forget rockets. Well, not forget rockets, but the amount of torque that they're able to get out of those engines yeah. is insane. I mean, he's, he's made uh, engines a magnitude, order of magnitude more powerful, yeah. inverting the, the, the ratios. You know I mean? What they've been able to achieve is completely unprecedented. Um, but, you know, from that, he's kind of uh, been able to perpetuate this idea where he winkingly says, 
maybe if we get to Mars, you know, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to have to figure out governance, you know? <laughs> and it's like, holy shit, I think we're getting, you know, hopefully, you know, in 20 years or something, we'll see a, a, a situation in which Elon Musk has to apply first principles to try to start coming up with the ideal form of governance on yeah, Mars. And yeah. he's probably going to do that great, you know? Yeah. I think that stuff like this is slowly pulling the rug out from those illusions. Like, no, he's not... A governance expert. He's a physics guy. Right. He's, he's he's got an insane willpower, insane work ethic. I'm sure he's very good at solving f- physics problems. But um, increasingly, I think that I'm I'm being disabused of, of the notion that he can solve political problems because he's his chosen profession is not politics. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, he couldn't. I think and it points to a lot of why the Silicon Valley te- potential Silicon Valley techno hell that we could live in is these guys don't. They don't. They're not politicians for a reason. They they only understand. They kind of st- exist in a mental binary, and they're very interested in in material science, which is great and a huge asset to society. But they're also the idea of. I mean, certainly we should have people that are invested in science uh, in government because that's the reason why we have a lot of the problems we have now around climate change. Why a bunch of schools, public schools, are allowed to teach that the Earth is five thousand years old for some reason, <laughs> um, but but. We also just they have to acknowledge that like the, these science nuts and these technology g- geniuses are not necessarily that skill set doesn't necessarily pivot and apply to like, hey, you also have to have like kind of a soft skill set around like you should probably treat people humanely and all that. Steve Jobs had the same problem. Steve Jobs like certainly abused a lot of his workers in uh, the early days and then continued. And we all just accepted it and t- and t- that our all our iPhones were made by uh, children in China or that, and we're just kind of accepting of those yeah and ethically questionable uh moves but yeah. yeah and i think that he you know was was leveraging an expectation that we already had that corporations were going to try to maximize profits um yeah i mean we i think we need we need a completely new paradigm like the the, the era of just blind profit maximization is not it, because of the aforementioned. I mean, that don't that really works well in a world in which people have unlimited access to credit and can just buy yeah. shit, buy shit, buy shit. Well, it also forces this race to the bottom, which we, like is the private yeah. debt bubble that's and consolidation of, yeah, of yeah. businesses too. I mean, yeah. it puts people out of business. And, yeah, now there's essentially like five companies in America. Yeah, 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 yeah. basically control everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, this has been a depressing episode. <laughs> yeah, but I feel. I mean, I'm. Clearly angrier now, so I feel a little alive for the first time. I know. I hope we got everyone out there angry too, or enjoying the podcast. I mean, particularly our our listeners in Tajikistan. The situation in Tajikistan is deteriorated. I hear. Oh, really? I don't know. We we got to look it up again. To the Tajikistani government, we will come and do a very favorable podcast for your people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming for you, Lanex. But yeah. that's been this episode I think that's been this episode yeah so uh, follow us on uh, subscribe on iTunes subscribe Um, on iTunes subscribe on Stitcher subscribe on SoundCloud Pocket Pocket put us in the pocket put us in the pocket also posting these to my personal website more I posted it to Reddit now on the podcast subreddit. Reddit.com. Reddit.com. A lot of great content on Reddit.com. Some of it is our podcast. Upload it. Um, retweet it. It'll be on our, our respective Twitters. We're at Infinity License without the E. Well, without the last E. Without the last E. And uh, yeah, so let's uh, like get, get taken out by the dulcet tones of, I want to make it. I want to make it with you. Kenny. Uh, Kenny. Lenny. My cousin's <laughs> name is Kill Kenny. Kill Lenny. 
Thanks, uh, Brian. That, yeah. Uh, brain. Brain. I got an email today again. I, there doesn't a day go by that I don't get an email from Brain. But Lenny will be reporting back next time from his time at the Queens of Stone Age concert at yeah. Square Garden. See you later, Brain. Later, Kenny Lenny. Kill Kenny.